Welcome to the MHI Cast, the show where we talk to the industry's best minds to uncover their supply chain stories. We explore real-world case studies and get unique perspectives on key trends and emerging technologies from every corner of the material handling, logistics, and supply chain space. Our world is in a time of incredible transition. Our lives are changing every single day and many industries are still experiencing disruption. With these immense changes, MHI has produced a new documentary style series exploring what the future of the supply chain could be. It's called Jobs of Tomorrow and it covers topics from home delivery to cold chain and innovation to automation. In this podcast, we're going to explore a couple of the topics touched on in the series. And first, we're looking at technologies that have been causing disruption. Over the past few years, there have been a number of disruptive technologies that have touched all of us. Adjustments made by corporations to shifts in the way we work and the way that we shop. Advancement, like we've never witnessed before, is a result of the customer's exponentially rising demands. From cloud computing to machine learning, emerging technologies are rapidly advancing at a light speed pace. Leaders and supply chains will implement these systems as we step forward into a new generation. Joining me today are Dr. Randy Bradley. He is the Associate Professor of Information Systems and Supply Chain Management in the Haslam College of Business at the University of Tennessee. We also have Jim Barnes, the CEO of Invista. It's a leading global software consulting automation services provider. And last but not least, Jason Mingany, the Vice President of Supply Chain Solutions at Kenco Logistics Service. Gentlemen, thanks for being with me today. Let's start with you, Randy. Please tell me, what opportunities will these emerging technologies create? Emerging technologies create some tremendous opportunities for organizations to really reimagine who they are and to re-envision who they could be and where they can actually go. Because when you think about it, if your primary purpose of investing in an emerging technology is for operational benefits or even to some degree tactical benefits, then we're thinking about this all wrong. These solutions are designed to be transformational. And so one should really be considering, are we really ready to change who we are in terms of how the market perceives us, what we bring to market, and how we go to market? And it's not to say that you haven't had success all along with what you've been doing, but the reality is yesterday's success will not fuel competitive advantage in the future. And so the emerging technologies of today are to position you and to allow you to have the infrastructure that you need to capitalize on opportunities and needs that have yet to manifest or that your potential consumers and clients have not been able to articulate. Appreciate that. That is amazing. And and what you're saying is they're here to make our lives better. Jim, what's your response to this? What do you think are the some of the biggest opportunities with emerging supply chain tech? Look, I think the biggest opportunity is around AI and ML, right? It is, unfortunately, uh, let's take a step back. Artificial intelligence and machine learning is nothing new. It's been around for many, many years. What's happening now is the fact that computing power is starting to actually keep up with the algorithms. And so I don't need a room of servers the size of this, let's call it this area that I'm speaking at today. I can actually do cloud computing today And so now the algorithms themselves can actually work, right, based upon the fact that hardware is actually keeping up. And so you're starting to see companies that are disruptive around machine learning and artificial intelligence today. I mean, you can't walk through this trade show without someone talking about AI 
their AI robotic platform or their ML platform. And I think the question is, is it hype, right, or is it reality? And there's a combination of both. I think you have to be educated to understand really what machine learning is about. But at the end of the day, uh, right or wrong, it's still math, right? These are still algorithms that are being written by folks that are much, much smarter than I am, right, that have operations research backgrounds or data science or their PhDs in applied mathematics. But it's just coming to the foray because I think today hardware is actually now being able to keep up with the algorithms that are being developed by some of these brainiacs. And in your opinion, what other emerging tech are you seeing implemented? Oh, wow. I think you're going to start to see, and you're already starting to see much more transportation around autonomous vehicles today in the marketplace, especially around transportation shortages for labor. You're going to start to see, again, much more highly automated distribution centers today using warehouse execution systems that are built around AI to optimize orders dynamically. Yeah, I mean, I could probably go on and on in terms of technology. But at the end of the day, right, you have to focus on, my only advice is you got to focus on business outcomes. So what's the outcome you're trying to achieve? And I think the biggest challenge is going to be the flexibility and the agility. You know, I love automation, but once you put a GTP system in or put, you know, three miles of conveyor into a facility, you can't move it, right? It's there. And so I think what's going to be interesting is to determine how people can put automation in that is actually much more flexible. It's almost like a, a building block, right? I can actually take a three by three. And so if you think about this concept called 369 matrix, is that I can build things off of a 369 type matrix, meaning that without getting too esoteric, it provides me the flexibility and the agility that when I need to open it up, I can open it up or I can actually close it. The challenge with automation, like I said, it's still structure. And once I put it in, it's not coming out. So I think that's what many executives are challenged by. They see the need for automation, but they also want the flexibility and the agility so when their business models change, they can actually change with it, right? And so those providers that can build building blocks, right, on top of each other, I think is gonna be the future with respect to what happens within the four walls of a DC. You know, that's a good point, but I've also heard that some organizations aren't seeing the return on investment that they expected from emerging tech. Randy, could you speak about this and why that may be the case? The vast majority of companies are not getting a return on investment on emerging technologies for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons is that organizations are really pursuing technology for the sake of technology and not necessarily focusing on or prioritizing the people who still are needed to do some of the work, as well as the work that actually needs to get done. And so when it comes down to it, when you think about where those investments in emerging tech are going into, it's really around what we refer to as that digital backbone. But the problem is that most organizations have lost sight of the operational backbone, which deals with their core systems, such as their ERP, their customer relationship management systems, their warehouse management systems or warehouse execution systems and so forth. And because the operational backbone is needed to feed the digital backbone, many of those investments in the digital solutions aren't necessarily yielding value, not because they're immature or lack the necessary capabilities, but it's because when you create this Venn diagram, if you will, between your operational and your digital, it's the lackluster operational components that really are inhibiting organizations' ability to get tremendous value from the emerging technologies. So starting your investing adventure for the sake of technology is one of the things you claimed was the incorrect strategy. Uh, let's go back to that. Can you reiterate the flaw in that logic? 
In my experience, I find that companies will tend to start their journey with a shopping list of the technologies they want without giving really any thought to what's the process that we're trying to enable, whether or not that process needs to be modified or adjusted. Because when you go to market looking for a series of technologies, you will find them. And I think it really comes down to this notion of understanding transformation is not inevitable just because you invest in solutions. So we have to really separate digital and transformation. You can digitize data, you can digitize process, but then when you really think about the transformational piece, it comes down to the question of, are we really interested in changing our business and or operating models, or do we really just want the new shiny toy? And so when you start with the solutions that are there versus the needs and the capability gaps that you have within your organization, you're more likely to end up with a series of solutions with no true problem or little opportunity to get the value from those solutions. Robotics and automation is making huge inroads in supply chains, and they can be adopted in a variety of ways. Jason, could you speak more about the various ways that you can introduce robotics and automation into your operations? There's two ways you can do it. The old way is CapEx, right? So you go out and you get a quote, they come back and say it's going to be $3 million to purchase 25 robots. And then you've got to maintain them, right? Then you've got to install them. Then you've got to connect them. Today, everything is as a service. Robots as a service, packaging as a service. There are uh, machines today that will create a box that is exactly the size of the order. That's packaging as a service, right? They give you the machines. Uh, you buy the corrugate from them or the dunnage from them, but they give you the machines, right? Same thing with robots as a service. You don't own the capital. You're basically renting or leasing that capital. If you need extra, then they can send you those extras. And then when you don't need them, you just send them back. Absolutely. It's interesting to have so many options to investment in these technologies. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us today. It's always a pleasure to find out and learn more about your perspective on the industry and what's happening inside it. We all know about the labor shortage in the supply chain and how it can be difficult to find and retain workers. And so another one of the topics we asked our experts about for the Jobs of Tomorrow series was how to recruit and retain people. And with new technologies, there come new job opportunities as well. So it's important to hire the right talent. Now we have John Paxton, the CEO of MHI. We also have Brian Devine from Industrial Workforce Advisors and Kevin Blankespoor, the SVP and GM of Warehouse Robotics at Boston Dynamic to tell us about recruitment and retention of supply chain workers. Gentlemen, we're very happy to have you here. John, let's start with you. Let's appeal directly to the workers first. Can you tell me what are the different job opportunities available in supply chains and how much talent is needed in our industry? The talent need is phenomenal because supply chain, it's been expanding and the technology and the innovation has been expanding. So there's all different types of careers in supply chain, you know, starting from the sales and the technical side of how do you solve customers' problems? How do you get involved in understanding their businesses and making the improvements? So like a traditional business, you have sales, but it's sales on the solution side. So it's really interesting from that perspective. But then you move into the engineering side and the technical side of how do you move efficiently? How do you move products? There's a lot of automation that's coming out, robotics, and then the digital science and the computer science piece is a major part of our industry now. It's digital transparency, end-to-end -end transparency, understanding how the products move throughout the entire supply chain. 
and then all the way through to the jobs of building the products in the supply chain, building the conveyor systems, building the robots, building the racking systems, everything that goes into uh, building a distribution center. So there's a broad range of jobs and there's a tremendous need for talent in the industry. Interesting. You know, one might say that there are hidden depths to a career in the supply chain. Kevin, why do you think that supply chain careers may be more rewarding than other types of jobs? Well, it's a growing field. It's in a rapid state of change, and that can be exciting. So there's just a lot of new opportunities. You know, you're seeing new jobs in supply chain now that didn't exist 10 years ago. We're excited that there's a new generation of robot wranglers that are going to learn how to use our robots, a new generation of technicians that are going to learn how to fix robots. So there's a lot of jobs that are just being created now that are kind of, you know, the next generation of fun jobs. So how do you get more people interested and look to the supply chain as a lucrative future? Uh, Brian, let's go to you. How can companies reform their recruitment policies to fight, you know, old stereotypes and at the same time provide a more accurate picture of what the current state is? Okay, so how can companies reform the recruitment policy, uh, practices rather? One of the things that's important to do is to understand that there's this sea change that's taking place in the labor force right now. Baby boomers at one time, of course, were the largest group of workers in the workforce. And then as baby boomers started to retire out of the workforce, the next group was Gen Xers, followed by millennials. Now, millennials make up the largest portion of the workforce today. And the sea change that I referred to back in the 80s, when a lot of people in the baby boomer generation joined the labor force, it was very common for someone to think that I'm going to join this company and I'm going to work for the same company for 25 years or 30 years and literally retire from the same company. And uh, they might retire with a modest pension. They're not going to get rich, but they knew that the company had their back. In the ensuing decades, two things happened. Many manufacturers closed their sites here in the U.S. and they offshored their manufacturing. So they literally closed some manufacturing plants here in the U.S. And secondly, there was a lot of mergers and acquisitions that took place. And so what happened is that some of those workers that had committed 20 and 25 years to a company found themselves unemployed because the factory or the warehouse closed down. And so these millennials saw their mom or their dad lose a job after committing 25 years to a company. And they said, I'm not going to do that. And so I often ask people if they think that the worker of today is more loyal, is the employee more loyal today than they were 20 years ago? And the answer is a resounding no. I asked a follow-up question, which is, are employers more loyal now than they were 20 years ago? Once again, resounding no. So I point out to business leaders that employee loyalty mirrors employer loyalty. Yeah, those are good points. Employee loyalty mirrors employer loyalty. Definitely a two-way street. Now, I know some companies have turned to staffing companies or external consultants for help. Do you think it helps with this situation? Yeah, it certainly doesn't create any more people, but what happens is that it allows, it frees up some of the HR manager's team to work on retention rather than recruiting. And when there's so much opportunity, the recruiting efforts have doubled and tripled. And so it takes double the time or triple the time that it did in the past. And so what we see is that staffing companies are a really good way for companies to gain new workers and get a chance to try them out before they offer them a full-time job. 
also in the logistics space, specifically in e-fulfillment and e-commerce, the need for labor changes dramatically based on the order flow and the demands. And so it's impossible for companies to ramp up and ramp down quickly to accommodate those. Totally. That makes sense. Having internal resources focused on retention. Kevin, let's go back to you. Why do you think that retention is a challenge? I think a lot of it's supply and demand, right? Especially in the technology fields. You know, people are hungry to hire the best talent in technology, and that pool's only so big. So I think you see a lot of companies uh, struggle with retention. The key is really having super engaging work. And, you know, as long as people are learning, I think they'll stick around. But there's a lot of competition for top talent now. And do you think there are other aspects like culture that play into this as well? Certainly, I think, you know, if you see work-life balance, that's a big one. I think if you see continued opportunities to learn new things and stay state-of-the-art in your field, people are attracted to that. Well, there's absolutely no doubt there are many things and multiple layers to consider for recruitment and retention. Gentlemen, thank you so much for sharing your insights. And thank you for listening to this installment of MHI Cast featuring some of the experts and topics we covered in the Powered by MHI docuseries, Jobs of Tomorrow. The series is live now on MHI View at videos.mhi.org and also coming to a streaming service very, very soon. If you want to be featured as an expert in a future episode of the series, you can contact Chelsea Fairweather at cfairweather at mhi.org to inquire about sponsorship opportunities. And be sure to secure your attendance for Promat in Chicago, where you can find these and other experts sharing their supply chain knowledge, plus over 1,000 of the leading solutions providers. This event happens March 20th to the 23rd at McCormick Place. Visit promatshow.com to learn more and register for free admission. At MHI, we never stop exploring new opportunities to help you take your manufacturing and supply chain operations to the next level of success. Thanks for making us part of your professional development journey.